Now on view at SCAD Fash, Manish Aurora's Life is Beautiful. Renowned for dazzling designs and a rainbow of colors, Manish Aurora has brought the talent and craftsmanship of India's rich sartorial history to the global forefront, earning international acclaim on runways across three continents. Designing in India since the 1990s, Aurora's glittering garments celebrate extravagant expressions of self through varied materials, techniques, and silhouettes in a triumphant union of Western and Eastern aesthetics adapted to today's multicultural society with a touch of humor. Find out more at scadfash.org. Support for WABE comes from 100 Miles, a nonprofit committed to preserving Georgia's 100-mile coast. Protecting this critical coastal ecosystem takes all of us. Watch the stories of the innovators and future leaders who help keep our coast flowing at OurGeorgiaCoast.org. W-A-B-E in Atlanta, this is City Lights. I'm Lois Reitzes. Thank you for listening. Photography is probably at the all-time height of its popularity, as smartphones have enabled us to snap pictures whenever we want and share them. Instagram alone tells us that's pretty often with their users surpassing one billion at last count. This hour, we'll hear about the power and art of photography. REM frontman Michael Stipe was a visual artist before he became a musician, and photography was his favorite medium. Later in the program, we'll listen to Michael Stipe, recorded with me in conversation last fall when he was in town for Atlanta Celebrates Photography. We'll also hear about a new virtual exhibition of photography featuring Atlanta LGBTQ artists. That show is called High Visibility. First, you are listening to 90.1 WABE Atlanta, and you may be asking yourself, why does WABE sound different now? What's going on today? Well, we're public radio, and we rely on you for funding. With your donation, we pay for all the programs you hear on WABE, and your support is critical because 84% of our funding comes from this community. So please do your part and make a donation at WABE.org or call us at 678-553-9000. 90. I'm Lois Reitzes, joined this hour by Dr. Scott Stewart. Hi, Lois. It is so great to be here and support this fantastic cause. It's important that we hear from you right now because it's your way of saying how much you value the arts and culture experience that you get every day on City Lights. Another reason to give right now 
It's the first day of our fall member drive, so it's even more important that we hear from you today. Your gift during this drive makes our fundraising efforts more efficient, and it allows us to get back to regular programming faster. That's why we need you to make a donation right now. Please give at wabe.org, or you can call us at 678-553-9090. We know you value what you hear on this station. Here's what one of our fellow listeners had to say about WABE. My name is Corey Fow, and I'm in Alpharetta, Georgia. WABE is so important to me. I wanted to definitely increase my donation and possibly make up for other donations that might have gone missing because of this really horrible time. I felt great about being able to support an entity that I truly believed in. And I feel that way today. And I expect I will feel that way as long as I can listen to it. (laughs) 2020 has been such a devastating year for so many local businesses and individuals. As we move into the fall and winter, WABE will continue to provide you with news and programs you can trust and rely on free of charge. That's the beauty of public radio. It's yours. If you are able to donate right now, please consider chipping in a little extra in place of your neighbor who may not be able to. It only takes a moment and a few clicks at wabe.org slash donate or call 678-553-9090. Again, that's 678-553-9090. You've been listening for some time now. You've heard our fundraisers and thought, yeah, I really should give something back to WABE. Well, now is the time to do it. WABE is essential to your life. We provide in-depth, intelligent coverage that helps you better understand the world. And we can't do this without your financial support. Consider becoming a sustaining member now at $15 a month. Takes just a couple of minutes to contribute at wabe.org or call 678-553-553. 9090. You can show your admiration for WABE when you donate at the $10 monthly sustainer level. And as a thank you, we'll send you the I Love WABE fold-away tote bag. It's red and white and features the I Heart WABE logo. This lightweight tote folds neatly into itself for pocket-sized storage. It's yours with a new sustaining gift of $10 per month or with a single gift of $120. Please make your first ever donation this fall at wabe.org or call 678-553-9090. Thank you. The best part of donating right now? You'll feel good that you did it knowing you support WABE's excellent programming, that you help fund shows like City Lights. Thanks to all of you who already are WABE members, but now we need for you to join them. Please donate at wabe.org. It only takes a few minutes. Thanks so much. High Visibility is a new virtual group exhibition of Atlanta LGBTQIA photographers. 
the launch of this show coincides with the 50th anniversary of Atlanta Pride. With us now via Zoom, our curator photographer Leandra Lesseur and curator and artist Michael James O'Brien. Welcome to City Lights. Thank you so much, Lois. It's great to be here with you. So great. Thank you, Lois, for having us. How did the partnership with the Atlanta Photography Group, Wussy Magazine, and Atlanta Pride come about? There's a couple of threads that have happened, Lois. I've been working with Leandra on various projects related to this topic for over a year. She came into uh, SCAD, where I'm the chair of photography here in Atlanta, to give some talks about how political movements affect art. And we talked about civil rights. We talked about the AIDS epidemic, women's movement, and Black Lives Matter. And parallel to that, about a year ago, I had talked to John Dean and Wussy about doing a project around the time of Pride that was related to artists who are queer, let's just say the short version. And it didn't happen last year for a lot of reasons. But I think this year, because Leander and I had been working together um, and we were able to work with Judy at Atlanta Photo Group to give us the platform to make the exhibition, these threads really came together. But it started, the initiative started, of course, because of the necessity. And we didn't take the term high visibility, it's not meant to be ironic, but the visibility or invisibility is a huge issue of the artists whose work is represented in this exhibition. I was wondering if you could talk about the launch of the show coinciding with Atlanta Pride's 50th anniversary. Can you talk about how this year's Pride festivities will differ from past years, obviously, because of COVID. Well, I, I'm going to mention that, too, because I know, you know, it's all going to be virtual. And I found, and I, I hope that Leandra can share this with me, that we have, a, there's a silver lining to the way that we're communicating. And I know with virtual reality, as it were, we're able to bring people in. I think celebrating something virtually is one thing, but education and art, I think, have an enhanced value because we can talk to each other as we are now from different cities and different places. I think the 50th anniversary is key because we're looking at a time, how many things Leandra have changed. Now, I've been here for 50 years, but Leandra hasn't. And I'm just thinking about the way in which this initiative has changed. Leandra, how do you feel from where you're sitting about the idea of pride and what pride means in 2020? Yeah, I mean, I think you make good points, Michael, because I mean, right now, I mean, with everything happening with happening with COVID, I think there there is a reach with you know, emerging photographers, emerging artists, et cetera, that they have a wider reach to a wider audience. And I think it's specifically important right now with the work that we're showing to think about not just how we can talk about pride, but how we can talk about intersectionality within the, the queer community and how 
like proud we are of the the strides that are being taken to focus on that. I mean, specifically thinking about a, a lot of the things that have been going on with the uprisings that have been happening in the protests. I mean, obviously, you know, that is different from what's happening with pride, but it goes hand in hand because a lot of those conversations are around trans lives. And a lot of the work that we are focusing on within this particular show, um, we're talking about a wide variety of queer bodies and how queer identity exists in so many different beautiful forms. Just in that sentiment, that is something that we are prideful in. And I think that goes hand in hand with what this 50th celebration of pride in Atlanta means. It's kind of like a change and a transformation of how do we look at queer bodies? How do we look at queer identity um, from a different perspective, a different angle? And how do we accept all different queer identities in this form of art making, in this form of viewing art? So that, as curator, that is how you would describe the essence of this show. Correct. Yes. Um, I know I know. in all of the meetings that we had when we were looking at work, we were specifically drawn to just making sure that all of the work spoke to different perspectives. And I think that, you know, the, the viewers, when they actually see the show, they're going to see that. And they're going to see that beauty in the, the kind of wide variety of like what it means to be a part of the LGBTQ community. Um, it's this beautiful, varied um, community, but it's this inclusive intersectional community. And that was important. That was something that was important for us to kind of seep through within the work that was, was curated for the show. Mm -hmm. Michael, you will moderate the identity and queer performance and photography panel discussion. What topics will that conversation cover? Well, I, I think one of the interesting things that Leandra touched on, Lois, is the way in which people have projected their own narratives into performance and in photography. And one of the things that we're living through, which I think is terribly important, is that photography is being upended. The history is being rewritten in a way that it never has. The last time this was being rewritten was when digital photography became so important. So now, and I say rewritten because invisibility and visibility, these are the subjects of a lot of this work. And I think that a lot of performers and artists who needed to find a way to express and to talk about their own individual narrative had to do with the relationship between performance and photography and installation, there were other outlets. And because photography is no longer limited, as you know, to 11 beautiful 11 by 14 gelatin silver prints on a white wall, that's the world that I grew up in. And it was primarily dominated, I have to say, by white men. That was the work that you looked at. So I think that the performance was an aspect of people performing their identity, performing their narrative, and taking the responsibility for that narrative. So the photography becomes a partner in that conversation. It's not as if it's the end result. It may be the basis, as it is in Leandra's work and in other people that we're presenting, that that becomes part of the discussion. And I think performance is very, very important, how bodies figure and lives figure into these stories about visibility or invisibility. Leandra, I read that in your artwork, you hope to reclaim 
and dismantle stereotypes surrounding black female identity. How do you demonstrate that in your work? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, for me, and kind of also going along the lines of what Michael just stated, the performative aspect is, is is of huge importance for me in kind of doing that. When I think about the way I use my work as a performance, as an installation, as me shooting video or even photographs, I'm thinking about like how my body exists in a space and how I'm creating that space and documenting my body within that space specifically for myself, but then how I can curate that to then invite a viewer to see what I want them to see. So in that control or having that control, I'm shifting power dynamics. I mean, if you look at the history of photography, if you look at the history of the the medium or just the core of documentation, a lot of different communities, specifically the black community was not documented properly. It was a documentation that focused more so on the negative. So when I think about my work and the power that I have in controlling how my work is viewed, I'm more so thinking about how do I push the positive that are within the Black community, within myself and how I identify, how do I speak about Black joy, how do I speak about this kind of radicalness of Blackness as like this kind of going against what the stereotypes and all of the negative kind of projections look like in the world of like how we view digital media. And I think that's an important factor when you're thinking about this idea of photography and the performance that goes maybe into photography, how a lot of current photographers, specifically even the ones that are in the show, are using that, using photography, using the medium as a tool, as a weapon almost to claim, reclaim or claim back their identities and take that power over that narrative. That's, that's truly important. And that's something that I focus on in the work that I create, but also, you know, when I'm thinking about curating shows, looking at the work that others create and how important it is to kind of showcase that, that power, that switch in power dynamics. So is there one photo in particular you could talk about that illustrates how you are reclaiming, dismantling uh, stereotypes around black female identity? Yeah, definitely. I mean, within my own personal work, I mean, I mean, there are a bunch of, of works that I can think about, but in more particular, there was a specific piece that I recently did called um, Maybe Rainbows Do Exist at Night. And it's a six channel video piece where, I mean, I, I when I explain it, I think about this idea of performing for the camera and then from there curating it into a, a longer durational video piece, which is what it became as a finalized piece. And in that work, I'm specifically thinking about this kind of tug and pull and this struggle for liberation within the body. And this was kind of a, a struggle that I was focusing on within myself. So it wasn't this idea of like what has been said about me or, or who I am or what has been projected onto me, but it was more so about what or how I see myself and how I can liberate those feelings and understand that alone in my existence, that I'm enough, that I'm okay, that I'm, you know, I'm, I'm able to kind of just walk freely within my own body and just kind of be. And so that was kind of a piece that for me really spoke to this idea of kind of claiming my own narrative and being able to push that out into the world and allow people to see, this is how I view myself. This is how I view who I am as a black woman. And this is how I want you to view black womanhood, not what other people say it should be. Atlanta artists and curators Leandra Lesseur and Michael James O'Brien. They both will moderate virtual discussions for the exhibition High Visibility. 
We'll be back with more of that conversation after a short break. You're listening to City Lights on WABE Atlanta. The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly, and Richmond Graduate University can equip you with everything you need as a licensed professional counselor while integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmont.edu. That's R-I-C-H-M-O-N-T dot E-D-U. You love free, and at Ameris Bank, so do we. That's why we're proud to offer worry-free, hassle-free Ameris Bank free checking. Manage your money your way with convenient access to digital, mobile, and telephone banking, all with no monthly service fee or minimum balance requirements. At Ameris Bank, we're with you. For more information or to open an account, visit our local bankers in person or online at amerisbank.com slash free checking. Other fees such as overdraft fees may apply. Ameris Bank, member FDIC, equal housing lender. You are listening to City Lights here on 90.1 WABE Atlanta. I'm Lois Reitzes, and right now we are in our fall member drive. This is the time of year when we do something special, when we take a leap of faith and ask you to support the programs you love. You rely on us to bring you unbiased news and information, arts and culture coverage that you hear on City Lights. We rely on you to support the programming. In fact, 84% of our funding comes from the Atlanta community. Now it's time for you to join the tens of thousands of WABE listeners who are members. Please make your donation now at wabe.org or call 678-553-9090. We're joined this hour by WABE music contributor and educator extraordinaire, Dr. Scott Stewart. Thanks, Lois. It's so great to be here. And right now, in this hour, we're asking you to give because you appreciate and value WABE. One way to show how much you value the station is to become a sustaining member. When you set up a monthly gift, say $15 a month, it allows us to have a better sense of what money we can rely on and you'll be satisfied knowing that you're constantly supporting WABE. Become a sustaining member today by visiting wabe.org, or you can just pick up the phone and call 678-553-9090. Aristotle used to talk about this concept he had. It was about how humans interacted with each other. He called it politics. I'm Domenico Montanaro, and in public radio, no matter what the political news cycle brings, we never lose sight of the fact that politics is still all about people. So do some politicking of your own. Help your fellow humans interact with high-quality news and information by donating to this NPR station now. It won't take long when you visit wabe.org slash donate or you can call 678-553-9090. Here on WABE, we bring you the latest political news and how it affects your life. But we also step back and give you arts and culture because that too is an important part of your life. 
And even though human interaction has changed a lot this year, the need for high-quality information is more important than ever. We would not ask for your donation were it not necessary. So please make your first-ever donation this morning at wabe.org slash donate or call 678-553-9090. Thank you. Whether you're a first-time WABE member or you've given in the past, consider becoming a WABE sustaining member. That way, you'll never need to worry about when your membership expires. And you'll feel good about yourself because you'll continually help to put new microphones in the hands of our reporters to pay for our talented team of producers and fund new ventures like our podcast, Buried Truths, which won a Peabody Award last year and just won a National Edward R. Murrow Award. To become a sustaining member, think about how much WABE is worth to you. We suggest a monthly donation of $15. It only takes a few minutes to make your donation, so please call 678-553-9090 or go to wabe.org. With a new sustaining gift of $10 a month, we'd like to send you a thank you gift. It's the WABE Dry Fit Baseball Cap. This adjustable hat is frost gray and features the WABE logo embroidered on the front with our slogan, where ATL meets NPR on the back. The WABE Baseball Cap is yours with a monthly gift of $10 or with a single gift of $120. Please make your first ever donation this fall at wabe.org or call 678-553-9090. Thank you. We need your support, and we know you value WABE, so please take the time to donate right now. It's exciting to know you've made a difference. Go to wabe.org slash donate or call 678-553-9090. And thanks so much. Let's return to my conversation with the curators of the photo exhibition, High Visibility, Michael James O'Brien and Leandra Lesseur. Now, you will also moderate a panel called Unraveling the Gaze, Queer Artist Talk. First, I love puns, is gaze, G-A-Z-E, supposed to be a play on words as in (laughs) G-A-Y-S? I, I mean, it, it, every time I say it, I actually think of that. So I think you could actually take that as a pun. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, me and Michael, we've, we've specifically talked a lot about the gaze and the dynamics that go into the gaze and who kind of owns this gaze and how that kind of leads to these stereotypes and projections of like what a person should be or who a person should be. And with this particular talk, we've, we, you know, thinking about the dynamics of unraveling that not necessarily confronting it because there is confrontation there, but it's not always direct. It's sometimes subtle. And in those subtle confrontations, how that becomes this unraveling and how that unraveling can kind of become this poetic and beautiful and almost sometimes nuanced experience, not just for the artist creating the work, but for the viewer that's taking that in. 
it's almost like as a viewer, you're invited to experience the process that the artist is going through to redefine who they are. Um, so I think we're going to be really kind of digging into that during that talk. And I'm, I'm so excited because the artists that are part of that talk are extremely talented. I mean, every artist in the show is, but I'm, I was really drawn to their work because I saw that kind of subtle and direct confrontation that kind of led to this unraveling. Why is it important to have these artist talks panel discussions alongside the exhibition. I'm really glad you asked that, Lois, because as you know, I, I teach photography at SCAD, and I've noticed that a lot of the students I have are coming into this great awakening about projecting themselves into their narratives and the identity that goes with that. But along with making work, and Judy knows this as well as anybody, because in these museums right now and galleries, we are restricted from physically entering. So the artist talks, I think, educate. And for me, the things right now that I'm most concerned about are collaboration, education, and art. I think these are the things that will get us through the historical moment that we're living through with all the impact. So the artist talks are twofold for me. Uh, Lois, one is that it gives the artist a chance, and I see this in my teaching, and a lot of the students I've taught who've graduated, our alumni, are in this exhibition, and not because they came through that process, because we found them and there the work is. And I've noticed that they've been enabled to make work because they can talk about their work. And it goes hand in hand for me. And I know there are moments when I said to the students, just give me five bullet points, give me five words that somehow pinpoint what you're doing. And the light bulb often goes on because they haven't thought about that. So I think, and the other side of it, Lois, and, and I think we can all speak to that, is that viewers now are swamped with information. There are platforms, a million of them. And my life no longer is separate between what we call away from the keyboard and URL. It's one life. So getting a chance to see an artist on Zoom talk about their work in the way that we would have if we were sitting in a gallery before COVID gives the viewer a chance to understand the work. And I've seen viewers come into live exhibitions that I've curated, talk to an artist, and then walk away and buy that artwork because now they understand your involvement, your story, and in a way you're collaborating with the viewer. Um, so I think this, the artist talks are really, really important for the artist, the curator, and for the viewers. In what ways do you think mainstream publications could better incorporate LGBTQ photographers and artists? Wow. Leandra? <laughs> <laughs> no, that's, that's a great question. Yeah. Um, I mean, there, there, there has been a lot of movement in regards to focusing on like better ways to include LGBTQ photographers. I mean, I think, to be honest, there needs to be internally just a kind of awakening and understanding that like th these voices are important. You know, these voices hold weight, hold value um, to the conversation around culture, to the conversation around what is happening in the world socially, and to kind of move that conversation and that dialogue forward. 
I know there are a lot of photographers and artists in general that are continuously, you know, knocking on those doors and saying like, hey, I'm ready. I have the work. I have the voice. I, I know what I'm talking about. I know what I'm speaking to. And I want to put that content out there. I think, I mean, to be honest with you, to answer that question, it just needs to be an internal kind of awakening within within the, the publications and, and what they're thinking about and how they're thinking through um, that representation and understanding that that rep representation is important and it matters. And it's it's not just within Hollywood, it's outside of Hollywood in everyday life and, and having these publications kind of showcase that is important for people seeing themselves represented in that way. Now, if I could just add something to that, Lois and Leander, I was watching an incredible movie yesterday. I've been very moved recently and for a while about the re, uh, renaissance of interest in James Baldwin. There's a movie that uh, has been released called The Price of the Ticket, which was named after one of his books. And in the, in the film, he talks about when he was growing up and the uh, interviewer says, well, you were poor, you were black and you were gay. How did you feel? And he said, well, I felt I hit the jackpot. It couldn't be any different than that. And then he went on to say when he watched movies, he didn't realize that he thought he was Gary Cooper. Then he realized he was actually the Indians that Gary Cooper was chasing. And I think that visibility was missing that he said that he didn't see people who looked like him. So to put black models on the cover of Vogue certainly would change the way that people see themselves or have a vision of who they are to see themselves in these situations. And it's what a friend of mine, I think they call it code switching when you talk in a different way because you're working around the issues that don't seem to include you. And I think magazines have a great responsibility. For 20 years, I was a fashion photographer and I asked over and over again to do photographs for a bridal magazine for Condé Nast that involved a mixed race couple. Never happened. So I think now these things are happening, but it took a lot of work on the part of people wanting not a revolution, but change to make this change important. So, you know, this is how we grew up. We see ourselves in movies and on the cover of magazines and on Instagram. So it's terribly important. I think you, your question hits at the core of what art and publications and need to be doing and are doing right now. SCAD professor and curator Michael James O'Brien. He will moderate the panel on identity and queer performance in photography for the High Visibility Exhibition this evening at 7. We also heard from curator and photographer Leandra Lesseur. She will moderate the panel Unraveling the Gaze, Queer Artist Talk on October 22nd at 7.30 p.m. More information will be on our website, webe.org slash citylights. You are listening to 90.1 WABE Atlanta. Welcome to our fall member drive. It's a chance for you to support the programs you love, programs like City Lights. You rely on us to bring you unbiased news and the latest arts and culture features. We rely on you 
to support this programming. In fact, 84% of our funding comes from the Atlantic community. So now it's time for you to join the tens of thousands of WABE listeners who are members. Please make your donation now at wabe.org or call 678-553-9090. I'm Lois Reitzes here with you and WABE music contributor, educator extraordinaire, and conductor of the Atlanta Youth Wind Symphony, Dr. Scott Stewart. Facts, knowledge, understanding, inspiration, community. This is what you get every day on WABE. When you wake up with Morning Edition, when Lois Reitzes and Rose Scott fill you in on everything you need to know around the Atlanta area, when Terry Gross guides you through an extended interview on Fresh Air, and when you look back on the implications of the day with all things considered. This is what you get, what you make possible with your support of WABE. This station is essential to the community. Please do your part now to keep WABE going. Make your first ever donation at wabe.org donate or call us at 678-553-9090. Thank you. We can't do it without you. My name is Victoria Muhammad and I live in Stockbridge, Georgia. Why did I donate in 2020? Because we have to continue to support what we listen to every day. This tough time actually makes it more important that we continue to support so we can continue to get our information that we need every day. There has been a lot of information together in 2020, and that's why we need your help. 84% of our funding comes from the community we serve. Please consider showing your support by donating for the first time. wabe.org slash donate or 678-553-9090. Thank you. You're a partner with WABE. Every day, we do the best job we can to bring you informative radio programs like City Lights. But we can't do it without your support. In fact, 84% of our funding comes from the Atlanta community. We're committed to you, and we also rely on you. Please join the Public Radio Partnership and make a donation today. Call 678-553-9090 or contribute online at wabe.org. And if you've already given... Thank you so much. As a new sustainer at $20 a month, you can choose the WABE Cycling Combo. It includes a 25-ounce double-wall insulated Camelback water bottle and the WABE Bicycle Bell, both featuring the WABE logo. Please make your first-ever donation this fall at $20 a month or a single gift of $240 at wabe.org slash donate or call 678-553-9090. Thank you. We need to hear from you right now because WABE is counting on your support. We know you love WABE. You're listening right now during a member drive break. That means you're thinking about donating. So please don't wait. Do it now. It only takes a few minutes to give. 
Just go to wabe.org or call 678-553-9090. Thanks so much. Michael Stipe was the lead singer of the band R.E.M. for its entire 31 years. That was from 1980 to 2011. During that time, R.E.M. became one of the most popular bands in recent history. Stipe was known for his distinctive vocal style and poetic lyrics. Before he became a musician, Michael Stipe was a visual artist, and his first love was photography. In 2018, he published a book of photos titled Volume One, and last year, he released a new book of photographs called Our Interference Times. I had the great pleasure of speaking with Michael Stipe when he was in town last fall. We were recorded live on stage at SCAD Show in October of 2019 as part of the festival Atlanta Celebrates Photography. The title of your book is Our Interference Times, a visual record. At first, I was struck by the word record, as that is something very closely associated with your music. I think you and R.E.M. have sold 100 million records or so. A visual record sets forth the importance of photography as the artistic counterpart of your music. What's the meaning of our interference times? <laughs> it's actually, a, it is, it, it's a reference to um, radio signals. So it, it does go back to sound and then to music. I'm obviously playing with record. I didn't actually think about it that way, but thank you for this. <laughs> the, first, the first book, which was released last year through Damiani Publishing, is called Volume One. I wanted to have something that referenced the idea of music. A little shout out to Pylon, the amazing Athens group as well. <laughs> But to offer particularly to American audiences, because we, we seem to have a harder time than European audiences um, acknowledging or recognizing that people could do more than one thing at a time, that you could excel in more than one medium, that a person who is creative, a person who's an artist, can be so in several different ways. And sometimes those ways overlap and sometimes they don't. I wanted a little bit of a soft landing for, uh, for people that might just think of me as a pop star with a hobby. The truth is I was taking photographs from the age of 14 when I took my first photo class. My father loaned me his Nikon <laughs> FX2, I think it was, and I started doing portraits of young children that, that we as um, high schoolers were teaching art to, I think it was. Uh, I started doing portraits of my friends and a few landscapes, but it was mostly portraiture. It was a year after that, in 1975, that Patti Smith released her debut album, Horses, and I bought it the day it came out and decided that night that I would become a singer. Photography is not a hobby. It's something that I use diaristically, certainly. Um, it's something that I use instead of a journal. But it must have been, I don't know, at least a slight, if not outright insulting, when 
you weren't taken seriously or seriously enough as a photographer during the height of your music career? Well, I didn't really, I didn't, I didn't push it that much. I mean, all the work that I was doing through REM, all the, all the album covers and the, the, the graphic design of all, everything that came out, working with the, the people that made the videos, the filmmakers that presented us with work to be shown during the live show, everything uh, I oversaw. But I wasn't really pushing myself as a photographer. It was, it was more something that I kind of kept to myself. And in terms of being slighted, I've, I've got a harder shell than it looks like. <laughs> I'm, I'm used to it. Well, I read that you think vulnerability is a wonderful thing. It certainly is. And it's something that's taken men a long time to arrive at. I feel like I was possibly, for my generation, certainly one of the, one of the few men who, as a public figure, allowed that vulnerability to be a part of my strength and to be a part of the power that I had through my work or, or as a public figure to present myself and to offer alternatives to what else, whatever else was offered to us. Let's go back to um, being creative in more than one realm. Sure. I was fascinated with something you said, which I'm going to quote. Most of the great songs, I see landscapes, yeah. and then I have to people them. And then I also read that in conversation, sometimes you need to visualize sentences before you speak. I did that a lot as a child. And then I would repeat what I said to myself. It was really, really annoying. <laughs> but I did it for, a, I did it for several years. I, 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 would, I would say something and then I would repeat it to myself, whisper it to myself to try to figure out what I had just said. Oh, I'm not synesthetic. That was my next question. I'm, and I'm not on the spectrum. But it but, seems... But there's something close to that. I quoted uh, earlier, and I didn't mean to quote Greta Thunberg of all people, but how can we not quote her? She's such an uh, incredible, refreshing bolt of fury and righteousness and beauty and truth. She regards being uh, on the Asperger spectrum uh, as a superpower. Anyway, I don't mind quoting a 16-year-old who's so cool. <laughs> She's very cool, and um, I hope the earth will cool thanks to her. Yeah, I, th I, think we're well, I think we're well on our way to something very different. I wasn't thinking Asperger's syndrome, but I was thinking of synesthesia because yeah. it seems that you experience simultaneously a combination of senses. You see landscapes with your music. Yeah. And I was hoping you'd talk more about how that combination of senses informs your creative process. I have a very strong sense of smell, which I don't talk about often publicly, but there it is. It's funny, you, the, the way you just asked me that question, it, it made me realize that I don't see the songs that I've worked on once I've contributed to them as landscapes, they've then become more portraits. So that's interesting, I hadn't thought of that before. But the music that I was given by Peter, Mike and Bill from R.E.M. and other people that I've collaborated with, music that I hear, and I'm thinking of Arvo Parrott, I'm thinking of um, Philip Glass, for mm -hmm. God's sake, which is profoundly important to me. And I'm thinking of um, this guy that I saw in Berlin a few months ago, and I'll, I'll think of his name, Nils Fromm. Nils Fromm. So it's very um, atmospheric. Um, it's, it, it is landscape music. It's like it's more ambient. It's not pop music, certainly. There might be melodies, but they might be more subtly worked into 
um, the, the presentation might be much more subtle. It's almost ethereal. It feels like a movie. I mean, it, 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 it looks like a movie. The music looks like a movie. Yeah. I love it. Yeah, I don't hear it. I feel it, I guess. That's what it is. I once heard Picasso said he spent his entire adult life trying to paint like a child. Wow. And maybe it's just more a matter of channeling that. It seems that with volume one, with your book from last year, that's more of a memoir with portraits and photos as diary entries. Is that fair to Yeah, say? it's more of a family album, really. It's a, it's a picture of the, my family that I built around myself in order to actually become the person that I wanted to be. You have appeared on TV several times mm-hmm. with Stephen Colbert. Yes, I One have. of my heroes. <laughs> and he, during one of those fantastic appearances, he displayed your book with no pages. That photo appears in this collection. You, yeah. you showed the blow-up of the emoji. Yeah. Did you really mean for it to be an escape hatch? Yeah, I mean, it felt like it felt like we're in a time. This was after Donald Trump, so we're in a time where we need escape hatches. We need ways. If it's if it's yoga, have yoga. If it's a shot of whiskey, have a shot of whiskey. If it's if it's go and protest, go and protest, please. We need escape hatches. We need ways to pull ourselves out of the grind, the daily grind of of technology and 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 our access to news and news that's not real, news that's confused with entertainment. Do you know that um, reality TV, if we're talking, just from one moment, we'll diverge and then we'll get back. But reality TV started in Japan 10 years before it came to America. And so we get our current president from reality TV. But, but in Japan, the translation of what it was called when it started was humiliation TV. It took us 10 years to catch up with the Japanese. And, and now we present the humiliation presidency, I suppose. <laughs> Would you talk a little bit about how playful you are with Colbert? I love the guy. I mean, I loved um, Strangers with Candy. That was the name of the show that he did with Amy Sedaris. I used to live uh, in the West Village years and years ago, and there was a little sandwich shop at the end of my street, and Amy Sedaris would make cupcakes, and she would bring them and sell them at at the sandwich shop. So I would buy the cupcakes. They were always out of season, but if it was summer, it would be little Halloween and Christmas things. Uh, but I would carry the plastic things back to Athens for my sister, who's a big Amy Sedaris fan and David Sedaris fan. Anyway, I, I became uh, enamored of, of Colbert when he was doing that, and then he became Colbert uh, instead of Colbert. I think he's from South Carolina, right? Yes. Yeah. And played that character for 10 years or so, and we had a really good time together. He's a really good singer. He is. He's a wonderful song and dance music yeah. theater guy. Yeah. A photographer friend of mine, remarked that with the widespread ubiquitous use of Instagram, people are telling the world their lives in pictures, in images. And he thought it's almost like the earliest forms of visual communications. You mentioned the south of France, like the cave paintings, Mm. the images people left on the walls of caves. Do you think that telling our lives, telling our stories through images speaks powerfully for the use of photography as 
a language. Absolutely. That can be abused uh, or, or misused, but it can also present us with a new way of communicating, which is something we all need to do a lot more of. I would put forth that Instagram is more an imitation of life than a real, a real um, snapshot of anyone's real life because of the things, that, um, the, the things that are available for us to alter the way that we look on Instagram, the, the editing process, the ability to take 200 images and choose one or two of them to keep and dis dispose the rest. We didn't have that with analog uh, imagery. No one could afford that much film or you didn't want to waste that much film. <laughs> Um, or no one had the time or the energy to go through it. We have had apps since the iPhone, really, that make things look like the 1970s or the 1980s or, or the 1950s for people that had, were never there. It's altering and changing, I think, the way, not only the way that we look at ourselves, but really the way that we talk to each other and the way that we communicate, who we are, what we are. Uh, privacy was another, I mean, for me, that was a super important aspect as a public figure Privacy feels like something that really belongs to me. I have to keep some things to myself, for myself, in order to not become the monster that, when, a, when an ego runs amok, with that number of eyes looking at you or that, that, that level of, of energy or attraction thrown at you, people become monstrous. So I think it's important to, to have a part of you that is really just for you or for you and your people. But it's not really out the window because... It is, in fact, an imitation of life. If we're just, if we're going to rail on Instagram, it's not that real. I think you've done a really outstanding job of not being monstrous. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. I agree. Uh, well, all I have to do is look in the mirror every morning, and I, I see the same, uh, just physical. Uh, well, the, the inability to finish a sentence. One. Uh, but but I see those. I have those insecurities, and and they bring me right down to earth. And so I know that that guy that's up on stage or that guy that's on Colbert doing the, the, the song and dance thing uh, is not really me. It's, very, it's a very well-lit, very edited version of me. But the parts of me that I did let through, and mostly through the work, and I think that this is mirrored in this book. There are a lot of really imperfect images that are imperfect intentionally. They were the mistakes. They are where God lives. They are where the divine creeps in. They're where we belong. They're how we are able to encourage and grasp our very most profound instinct and make it a part of our daily life, not something that we only discover in what, what can often be the most horrific moments of our lives, the saddest or the, or the most exalted, the most epiphanal moments. We can have that every day. We just have to learn how to acknowledge and look at that in a different way photographer, artist, and former REM frontman Michael Stipe. We recorded that conversation live last year on stage at Sketch Show for Atlanta Celebrates Photography. Stipe's book is called Our Interference Times. You've been listening to City Light. It's our daily celebration of Atlanta arts and culture. We'll be back tomorrow morning at 11 to hear about a powerful new documentary from director Garrett Bradley. It's called Time and follows a woman's heroic efforts to 
free her husband from the infamous Louisiana State Penitentiary. Our producers are Summer Evans and Ryan McFadden. Kevin Rinker is our engineer, and I'm Lois Reitzes. Thanks for listening to member-supported WABE, Atlanta's Choice for NPR. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. The world is full of mysteries. Are ghosts real? Is that yogurt expired? Hey, the unknown can be scary. But when you donate to WABE, you know where your money is going. Your gift supports the journalism that keeps you informed and the programs that pull back the curtain on complicated stories. Help us make the world less mysterious. Become a member now. Go online to wabe.org slash donate. And thanks.